Hello, Bobheads. Gabby here. A few things before we get started. Just wanted to let you all know that this is one of our longer episodes. Reason being that we're talking to the band Everything, whose music you hear in the background right now. But also we are talking about their app they created called Light the Music, which is a music creation app that can be used individually, in groups, um, in educational settings, and hopefully therapeutic settings. So you guys are going to want to listen to the entire episode to get the full experience. Also wanted to say that this is our last episode of season three. But don't worry, we'll be back in a couple of months with season four. And this is our last episode of 2019, which has been a crazy year because we presented regionally, nationally, got accepted to present internationally, and we'll be doing so in 2020. And we hit 5,000 listens. And recently, literally a couple days ago, we hit 10,000 listens. So... We, as the Bop fam, wanted to thank all of you for that. Thank you, listeners, for engaging. Also, thank you to our artists for sharing their music and taking time to talk to us. So, enjoy the episode. Clinical. Clinical. Hello everybody, my name is Gabby. I'm Allison. And I'm Michael. And welcome to Clinical Populations. Introducing music therapists to new bops and new bops to music therapy. And today we have the band Everything. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm Steve with the band Everything and also CEO and co-founder of Light the Music. I'm Craig Honeycutt and I am a founding member of the band Everything and a longtime musical partner of Mr. Steve and I am a co-founder at Light the Music as well. So we are really excited to have you. And, you know, just to start off to say that um, teenage me is completely fanning out right now. Um, and uh, being from Virginia at the time, um, you know, everything was everything to me. Uh, really? ah, nice little pun. Thank you. Inter- introducing me to... Ska, funk, um, you know, first time I saw a horn section in the band and rocking out and I uh, had my hemp necklace on and <laughs> was totally rocking out with them. And, um, and you know, I was wondering, uh, Craig and Steve, you know, maybe just introduce a little bit of the history of the band. I know you formed out of... Um, the music scene, especially James Madison University, I believe, in Harrisburg. Talk a little bit about how um, the band Everything came together and how you formed that community of musicians at that time and in, in, in the uh, early 90s. Take it, Craig. 
Okay. So Steve and I both went to James Madison University. Um, we attended starting in the late 80s. And one thing about JMU is it was uh, a big uh, school for like Northern Virginia, D.C. I was from the Maryland side. Um, and JMU has a really strong uh, music department. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of really good musicians around. And the other thing is, is it also has a really incredible marching band. So mm. there was a lot of people like Steve played in the marching band. And, uh, you know, I came as a songwriter and just found our bass player, Dave Slankard, on Living in My Dorm Hall. He actually had played briefly, I think, Steve, with you in Those Damn Kids. Is yep. that right? Yeah, our high and school band. Yeah. So he was like, hey, I got a friend named Steve. And so I met Steve and a guy named Mark Reinhardt. And, um, I mean, it just kind of clicked. Right. And we just became friends and just sort of had this feeling of creativity and JMU was just a fun school to try to do gigs. So we really just started, you know, playing at school, being together as friends, like trying to find places that would like let us practice, you know, taking the first gigs that we could take. And uh, we just really like, we're all about it. Right. And so, you know, mm-hmm. back to the horn thing is like, I grew up as a progressive kid, you know, like REM and New Order and The Cure. And hmm. like, so Steve came from more of the ska and funk thing. And so I was the same way as, as you were, where I was like, oh, oh, horns. Oh, what's that? Like, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that we all yeah. just like learned a lot from each other and started at this, like, there was just this kind of wide open vibe at JMU that just, it was a unique time and it was a unique place to start. So, and Harrisonburg was, it was a college town. So we were a college band in a college town and we just kind of went for it. Mm, wow. It, and I was, um, I was, I'm teaching now at a university. Um, and uh, I was asking students about, you know, they were in a practice room and they were practicing like Grateful Dead covers. And I said, well, what is the scene like here? Um, and they said, well, you know, there's really nowhere to play. A lot of a lot of the clubs now just want a, a DJ, and mm-hmm. because they can pay one DJ, and they don't want to necessarily pay a uh, pay a band. I thought yep. I thought, wow, yeah. to have a music scene is so healing in, in in ways of building community, cheering on other people. I mean, Craig, I had a I had a band in in during that time. And we would play open mics at um, in, in Rappahannock County. Um, and you came and saw us one time and cheered. And, you know, we were just young and starting, but your cheering meant everything to us. And, and it felt like we were a part, we could be a part of something. So I was wondering, you know, maybe talk about how music community, you know, what was, what was it like in those days as you were, as you were forming um, and, and building that community and how the music guided you in that. Steve, why don't you field this one, dude? I, I think, um, you know, I was a music major at JMU and, and like Craig said, it's, it, it still is. It's, I, I think it's the best music school in, in Virginia. And, and so there was a lot of, there was just a lot of energy around music and a lot of interest and, um, we recorded some of the first stuff that we ever recorded in a studio at the JMU studio. So there was a lot of support. And then the scene, you know, which I think is, is uh, what we called community back then is like, you know, man, the scene, there's bands playing all the time and every night you can go out and there's, there's stuff going on. There's live music. And, and um, not only in Harrisonburg, but then we started going to, you know, Radford or Tech or, 
or Charlottesville or DC. And, and like, so then we became part of this, this group of, of traveling musicians and, and this community of, of those venues that we, you know, we played the same venues, you know, and we, we would share stages and then we would, we would share sets, you know, and, and we started, you know, jamming with, with all these different kinds of musicians and, and that became part of our shows. And as we grew out of JMU and, and went full time on the road, it really was a characteristic of the mid Atlantic and that scene. And, and now you're talking about, you know, a Dave Matthews or Hootie and the Blowfish or, uh, um, agents of good roots, these just amazing yeah. bands that, you know, that, that, that created something really special, this real ecosystem of, of live music. And I think that was, um, I, looking back, that was exceptional, you know, that, that was really something. Yeah, mm -hmm. Ecology, kind of that ecosystem, as you're describing it, that ecological nature of how, you know, one, one, a, a, a band in a music scene can spread out or in that community can spread out and make ripples. And, and those ripples really affect um, and have impact over time. And, you know, as we listen to uh, Time Will Heal Me and get into that bop for this episode, you know, just to, uh, before we do that, I just wanted to say thank you both for that ripple impacting me. And I feel like, a lot of what I took from those formative years um, as a music fan, uh, I bring now to students and I brought into my work as a music therapist. So thank you guys. Absolutely. Uh, you're, you're welcome. And, and, and thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I think looking back on it, the one of the biggest, most profound things that we did was create and share music together, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that, the impact of that. And it's funny because, you know, we started before the internet. So mm -hmm. this was, um, in there a, was a time before the internet. <laughs> yeah. Like this was, um, there were dinosaurs still walking the earth and, and, um, and there were, there was the, the inability to communicate, you know, across time and space, except with a corded telephone. You know, it's weird. You could write letters to people. That was another way to communicate. Right? But like, it was, um, so, so Steve, you know that it's a it's a funny point that you make because like somehow the word got out, right? So I think that like you know the idea of community is that you know we would play a lot of shows and at the time, you know, we were young and it was like oh we're into school and we're like not in a city at all and like you're just trying to do the best you can do to try to hustle up gigs and eventually you get a gig at Radford. And what we didn't really see at the time is that we were living in a very dense college environment, right? There are a ton of schools in close proximity to each other. We were not that far from Washington, D.C. and Richmond and other towns up north that seemed far away. But in hindsight, you know, four or five hours away, you're getting to Baltimore, Philadelphia, eight hours away, you're in New York. And they fed schools down south. And like you have those moments where you do share music with people and they remember that moment. Like you, you mentioned the moment of um, where I applauded. Right. And it's like just that moment when someone like means something. And so we, we had a chance to have those moments and we started to have more and more of those moments and like people just managed to talk. Right. And the music artifacts meant a lot as well. I, I, I think I first heard of you all through being traded a show through a cassette tape. And, and so, you know, 
the, those cassette tapes uh, that you would give to people, you would burn a cassette tape, you'd give it to someone else. That has a long history through the Grateful Dead and 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 you know Dave Matthews Band at the time. That's you know you would be trading these shows with people, and that physical artifact. Um, you know, we think we we talk about that in music therapy about the artifact of the therapy, because that artifact takes on a life of life of its own. Whether it's a song that a client, uh, that a person you're working with writes, and then they take that to their parents or their home, and and that kind of continues. So those music artifacts meant meant a lot as well. I I also want to point out that our logo is a cassette tape. Yeah. For those of you that don't know what a cassette tape is. Analog, analog world. <laughs> our, first, our first music release to the world was a cassette tape. So That's amazing. Yeah. Nice. We were up on that Solid. artifact tip big time. <laughs> Recorded on eight-track tape. Love it. Oh, wow. With yes. hand-colored wow. cassette tape covers. Oh, my. Remember hand-colored? What? Yeah, we took, like, uh, we took like um, fabric paint or something that you could like drip out on stuff. And we had like the the print the printed cassette covers like spread out on the floor. And then we'd like dripped this <laughs> paint oh my gosh, all over them and then like just mashed it up. And yeah. That's awesome. That would, that yeah. would be such a great multimodal session. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, it's so funny, like thinking about artifacts, I'm thinking back to like all the shows I went to as like a very young adolescent and getting CDs because, you know, then we would still get CDs and still use them. And I still have those. And but now, like when you go to shows, you just you don't, you know, somebody hands you a piece of paper or they're like, hey, check us out on this Web page, blah, blah, blah. And you forget about it instantly unless you're like a dedicated hardcore fan. But yeah, it's just crazy to think about how being in like my undergraduate where I got my music degree it was very music centric, um, a music centric town. Both schools had great music programs, um, but the music scene just sounds so different compared to what you guys are saying. And I don't know if it's just being in a different time and music is exchanged differently, um, you know, and, and shows are lined up differently, but it just seems so different compared to like how I was getting shows as a college student. <laughs> yeah, I think there's I think there's two crucial differences now. One is that it's much harder to be a band. Yeah. Because you can't sell your music. You yeah. know, the thing yes. that you create that has value, you can't monetize that. Right. Well, let's um you know, we want to listen to uh Time Will Heal Me Together and um and before we do that, maybe uh talk a little bit about how this song came together. I know it was on two albums. It was on 1996 self-titled everything. And then it was on 1998's album, supernatural. Um, and you know, as we'll hear in the song, it really sounds like it was written with that mindset of being with the band, being with this group together and, and traveling with each other and the Mount Blue Ridge mountains are in front of you. I was wondering if you could just, um, maybe talk a little bit about the conditions under which uh, time will heal me was created. A lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, seriously. So, you know, we were incredibly hardworking as a band. So you're talking about six college age dudes. Um, so, and when was it, that song written? Like 94, Steve? Um, so we were one. 220 days on the road and wow. we were traveling like in a van and then eventually piling into a box truck. 
um, all sleeping in like one room. So oh it's like six gosh. guys and a sound man oh, and wow. like just like really going for it. And so we were just like working as hard as you possibly could work. And I mean, really like a lot of what you're referring to is like Nathan's writing. And one thing about Nate is like, he's just such a good, he's just such a good brother to have, you know, he's Nate, got, Nate he's, is the drummer of, of, of the band. Yeah. He's a drummer and he's just such an incredible musician and a person overall. And he, he really kind of captured the essence of the experience of like being in a band on the road. Um, and that was like kind of one of the first collaborations that we, wrote as a band right mm. so the riff that steve had and dave had the bass line and nate was like singing the vocal and i came up with the chorus and so it was one of the first group rights that we had and you know there's a lot of struggle in there right so you know when you're young and in your 20s like you're you're full of life and you're full of yourself and you know but at the same time you're trying to fight your way into the world and for us we were just dedicating ourselves so much to our path that it was just like trying to find ways to feel okay in all of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were having moments of joy, but to have every moment of joy, you were just having to work to get there. And it was physically hard because we were, you know, playing like in the summer and it was hot and we were in a, a vehicle that really didn't have climate control. And, you know, we didn't really make any money for a very long time. When I say we didn't make any money, we didn't make any money. Like we were just living hand to mouth. And, you know, it was very uncertain and there was no plan B really. And so I think you put all of that pressure and that dedication in there. And, you know, I think with just talent, um, that song happened and it was definitely a collective effort and it was super cool and people wow. really resonated with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'll just add one other thing is, is that, that, um, that pressure, like the music, provides such a release and and that's what i think this song feels like it's just that like that out breath of just like you know sometimes you do get to have a moment of 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 joy and and peace and and just like ah you know it is okay you know like mm -hmm that end of the day kind of feeling where you're just like yeah that's like you know today was a good day worked my butt off but like you know today was a good day hmm. wow that that segues nice especially in like a clinical situation in terms of you know today was a good day yeah how a, song, how a song like that can support that feeling of breath mm -hmm. that is needed yeah. Well, can can we uh, can we uh, take a breath and listen to the Let's song? Let's do first? it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A lot of build All up. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So everyone, take a breath, and we are going to listen to "Time Will Heal Me" by Everything.
turn up the light. Say goodnight to all my brothers.
So Gabby, as the host of Clinical Populations and Allison, I'm wondering, I'm wondering what, what, what did you think of uh, Time Will Heal Me? I, it was, uh, it reminded me of 311. Interesting. Yeah. Um, just kind of like the chill vibe. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Type deal. Yeah. Um, and then I actually used to play saxophone in actually all like up until my senior year of undergrad. So I really appreciated the sax solo. I thought that mm-hmm. was great. Um, yeah, I liked it. It was nice to listen to like on my drive home. Right on. The driving song for sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, um, it definitely reminded me of a lot of bands that I listened to growing up. Um, and a lot of things that, uh, I just like picked up from the radio, you know, back in the day when you had to listen to the radio to <laughs> learn new music. Um, but I think I really resonated with um, the line, time will heal me, time will save my soul. Um, it was just something that I, I don't know, I have been really into like, um, I'm, I'm making a lot of life changes currently. And so um, taking time, slowing down, not being so caught up in the uh, hustle and bustle of having to get things done and, you know, um, moving is very stressful and like being so caught up in that and what's going to happen next. And so um, that line just kind of made me take a nice deep breath. Um, and of course, the song was very calming and relaxing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, it was just nice to remind myself like, I can take time and I have a lot of good things going on. So it was just kind of healing and, and listening for this episode as well. I was thinking, I was thinking about clinical scenarios and, um, and when, when um, it was mentioned earlier that, you know, today was a good day mm-hmm. and, and that this song kind of supports that deep breath. Today was a good day. And, um, and how important it is, especially for music therapists, to listen to when someone says, you know, today was a good day. And, and, and there's, that, there's that feeling of um, taking a breath, that music can support that in a way that is, you know, let's, let's be with that. Let's allow that to take that in as much as we can. How often mm-hmm. do we get to just sit back? And, and, and acknowledge that today was a good day and that, you know, that moment is no pun intended, mm. everything. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, um, and, and to really acknowledge, that, especially people who are dealing with consistent stress um, and, um, from, yeah. from extreme traumas in, in their lives. So, yeah, absolutely. It's funny that that came from, a bunch of like 20 something kind of knucklehead guys in right, the yeah. that, that long yeah. view, that perspective of, you know, like I've done a lot of meditation and yoga since then, but not then, you know, like I, I wasn't doing a lot of that then, you know? So like, and, and I don't know, like, I think that line comes from Craig. So I'll, I'll, I'll pass it back to Craig here in a second, but like, my experience in the last four years with kids with special needs, um, kids with, you know, behavioral issues, trauma, all of that stuff is that it feels like 
just like we all do in our lives to like hold on to stuff and to like to kind of be in that sort of gritty like you know trying to like you know kind of trying to like break through stuff and and music provides this this magical like hey you know what like poof like you don't have to do it that way like there's this like you can step away from that and and like and and there are these really transcendent just moments totally yep yeah well said steven you know it's it is it is a, a little bit of a trip to listen back um as you know someone who's in their early 40s um and had for having first heard this song um you know in, in the 90s to consider like you know how music over time deepens and change and how my relationship to this song is now has deepened and changed um, I might have just been conscious of the groove at the time of it, and and it felt good instinctively, and I danced, and I closed my eyes, and I moved to this. But now as I listen back to it, I, I consider, how does this message resonate with me now? And, and you know, I now have a more complex view of the world um, that, and sometimes... Um, thing you know does time does 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 time heal mm. you know does um mm. and, and what is and what it you know does is that an idealistic view of the world or does it or am i bitter and sinister now <laughs> or am I about the world uh, you know um you know and so and so the relationship has has changed and deepened so i found that really interesting listening back to the song michael do we do we need to talk about some stuff <laughs> you can have an intervention right now. Let's do a song rewrite. Okay. What do you need to heal? <laughs> That's, right. That's right. I'm just amazed at the, the perspective of it. But like Craig, you were what, 23, 24 when you wrote that line? Like what is that? You know, like where did that come from? What yeah. is that? I have no idea. <laughs> Pressure. <laughs> Fess up, dude. Pressure. Well, Pressure. I mean, so so think about this. So you know, one of the things that I, you know, I always used to joke that like I'm pretty good at writing hooks because I I have a quick attention span. So I'm good at like the parts <laughs> that you can remember because like you know Steve will attest to this. I was not the greatest at like I can remember lyrics when I remember them, but I would like forget lyrics a lot. And that's you know other people are better at like listening to songs on the radio and then knowing those songs and me i'm like good at knowing parts of the songs mm-hmm. um and honestly like you look at the context of the early 90s like there was a lot of really heavy music going on right mm-hmm. and people were feeling like really heavy and dark and you know i i think that you know maybe it was just like there was a lot of people that were you know kind of coming out of like the first or second wave of like like having enough or too much. Right. And Mm -hmm. kind of seeing like, okay, well we've built it. And like, what is it? Right. So I think there was a lot of darkness and heaviness that people were just kind of feeling. And Mm -hmm. so I think that like that mixed with like work in really hard. And like, so it's just, for me, it was just something that kind of came out of nowhere, you know, cause I would like to say I knew exactly where it came from, but it's just it just made sense. You know, it's considered a mantra, right? It's like, Hey, yeah, Yeah. need a a mantra. Like, kind of hurting here and you know we're all trying to overcome something right so for me it just kind of made sense to like try to write some some lines that that happened naturally and this and this is why i loved uh, and i still love working with teenagers young adults doing therapeutic songwriting mm-hmm. because deep wisdom 
can come out when you get open, you have a trusting musical relationship and, and you trust that intuition, deep ancient wisdom uh, emerges and, and, you know, you hear a song like this written, you know, and there's a line in it that says, you know, um, all kinds of frustrations rushing over your feet, sky blue and sweet sensation. I want to feel complete. I mean, on a conscious level, I know very little 22-year-olds who are thinking about wholeness mm-hmm. as a way of healing. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. The idea yeah. of wholeness comes when you're, when you're, you know, when you start to get my age, I start to look back and think, right, why did I leave certain things behind? I, I want to, you know, like, what is wholeness for me now as an adult? But here it was emerging in, in your all's early 20s. It's quite, it's quite um, amazing, spiritual, beautiful. Yeah. There's a there's one other thought that I had about um, sort of profound thinking coming from um, unexpected places. We've been lucky enough to do a couple sessions, uh, like the music sessions, with a group called the Tribe up in Northern Virginia, and they are non-speaking young adults on the autism spectrum. And um, so the, the you know the first like the music session is usually. It's an introduction to music making with the app. And so the first question is like, what is music? And there was this one guy that uh, he was like, for me, music is a a time machine. (laughs) It's just like, I've never heard that answer before. Like, that's a, yeah, that. And then there was another one who said, um, she was like, yeah, for me, music is a full body experience. I think um, the the metaphor of a time machine is such a... um, it's so interesting and, and a nice a nice way to describe the experience in that, you know, consciousness is so vast and that at a certain age when I'm experiencing something, um, if I was in my early twenties, you know, my 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 understanding, my consciousness of where I'm at at the time is maybe my social circle, um, you know, as Craig had mentioned you know, the pressure of just trying to make a mark in the world and, and try to find your place in the world, you know, leaving home for the first time. And so you experience music and you experience it under that, that context. You're going to get in that moment, whatever you get, right? I'm, I'm dancing and I'm with my social group and this is enough. But that as I re-experience music over time, especially songs, and that's the power of songwriting, is that, you know, time will heal me was there even in that moment. Like I was getting and receiving that message, taking it in, and it, it went within me, though maybe it wasn't important for that moment, but it certainly went into my consciousness somewhere and stayed with me. And I always think about that working with teenagers because working, having worked a lot with teenagers, I always thought, well, you know, it's not about seeing the outcome right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to experience their lives and I don't know what's going to happen to them. And I've worked a lot with people, you know, teenagers who have had really adverse childhood experiences and, and extreme trauma. And I'm not sure what's going to happen to them. I don't know what their outcome is going to be. I don't know how their adulthood lives are going to be. And as the statistics tell us, the cards are stacked against them. 
But I hope that this moment, writing a song together, improvising together, being in music together, I hope that this sinks in somewhere within that consciousness and it pops out and says, you know what? That song I wrote, you know, like I have a recording of that still and and it stayed with me and I still play the drums to this day to mellow out or whatever it may be. You know, music is a time machine. So what a beautiful uh, sentiment yeah. that is. Can I, can I share a quote? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. So um, this reminds me of, I was reading uh, Ben Fold's recent book he just released. Um, and he talks exactly about that, like time and how music is a time machine. And um, he says, I think that manipulation of time musically and lyrically is part of what makes songwriting so interesting. Mm-hmm. Because what four minute song has ever been about exactly four minutes of someone's life? Within structure of a simple four minute song, you can play with what happens between the beginning and the end and warp the sense of time. A four minute song might dwell on one special second in our life, and that one special second might represent a turning point, something that implies a whole lifetime. Yeah. Exactly. Time will heal. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, what you're talking about, Michael, yeah. is, is a time capsule. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, you're right. It's an you're artifact. Putting, yeah, it's an you're artifact. This thing in there. And like, <laughs> you know, if everything, if, if everything goes right, like that's going to be this thing where they can open it up at some point and, and be like, you know, like, yeah, that, that. And that could be a lifeline, you know, like that, that could be something, you know, ideally that, that is something that can really be, again, just, you know, so effective, so um, mm-hmm. profound. The, I mean, ahead. I think, I think we, we as like just us talking about music right now are a testament to that. Yeah. Like how music is a lifeline. Absolutely. Straight up. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that I'm thinking about right now too is, is all of the research that's coming out about um, people with memory issues and that, that again Mm -hmm. is this like literally like this magic time capsule, you know, that if you play the right song that, you know, and it's, it's great too, because it's like in our late teens to early twenties when we were like, all about music like music was so so important and and the i'm seeing it now with my teenagers that like it's 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 their life you know like the right song captures their life in this moment right now and it's just like the most powerful thing and if you play that right song for somebody with even with really advanced memory issues sometimes that's like this key that just like clicks and and those synapses all just fire again and and that's uh i just uh, like uh, that blows me away and and i think there's uh there's this magical i'm happy to see the science when when that when we finally like figure out what what's going on there but like for now it's just like this magical thing (laughs) well it's called the memory bump if you want the slang term for it memory bump Like yeah. bump as in like There's... what? Let's talk about that. <laughs> Hold on, <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> Accessing. Where is it? Accessing. Mike, you know about this. Mike, can you just talk about it? Sorry. <laughs> like the memory bump. Yeah. No, it sounds really close to the earworm, though. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the, the ear the earworm must live somewhere near the memory bump. Probably. <laughs> I love it though. The earworm. What a great <laughs> the earworm eats into the memory bump. 
<laughs> right. yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so gross. <laughs> I have a mental picture in my head of that happening. Oh my like, gosh, nom, that nom, is nom. so gross. Oh my gosh. Hold on, I'm trying to find it. Uh musical reminiscence bump. Yeah, How musical yeah. preferences. Musical reminiscence bump. I love it. Um there, she okay. Beer Murakami has a podcast called Instrumental, mm-hmm. and she talks about all the research and science, uh, music science stuff. It's good. So check it out. Um, she has a whole uh, episode on music evoked autobiographical memories, mm. and it's pretty informative. The MRB. I'm gonna have to check that out. That's uh, MRB. <laughs> musical reminiscence bump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting, but yeah, like that. Um, I, it's just it's fascinating. I'm a huge fan of Oliver Sacks and and that yeah. uh, that just rhythm goes so deep, especially in into our brains and and uh, just again like there's there's this we know it as people that have played music and have experienced music and used music as therapy like the we know it has this power, but like it's just this it's this thing that connects all of us and and. Uh, just profound, like the the way a, a song can connect us, or a, just a, a musical moment can uh, be that thing that brings us to a different place. And and I, you know, I, I don't know what that is, but for thirty years, I've I've tried to like you know share that with people, and, and that's a it's just a, a wonderful sort of path to be on, you know. Yeah. Well, it seems like you're doing that with uh, you're sharing the music with. Um this software you've created true or this app you've created mm-hmm. right can you tell us a little bit more about um light the music yeah, yeah I, would, I would love to hear about you know um how how the idea you know craig had mentioned a little bit about the 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 um genesis of of light the music but how how it came together in a digital world and maybe link your experiences with um, being in everything and your experiences of being on a record label and being a touring band and how that moved into music um, yeah. and, and, and especially digital software as a way of uh, helping in, in the 21st century. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, just to kind of start and, and set the stage, um, Light the Music is a company that is bringing – musical experiences and especially music musical creativity to kids and especially kids with special needs um we've found this this really huge need in specialty schools and underserved populations that like they're just not getting any music education and so we created um an app and curriculum that goes with that that is educational and enriching and even um, developmental that harnesses the power of music creation and the engagement that kids have making music and then, you know, turns that into learning or development or enrichment. And so that's, um, that's what we're doing. So sort of to rewind all the way back to the beginning of that where Craig was, was kind of hinting at and, and, you know, where that came from, 
the roots of that are are rooted in without everything without our experience as a as a band none of this would have happened and and two things especially one of those things was just experiencing the connection of a group of people as we played music right that was one thing and then the other thing was our use of technology like whatever we can do to use technology to create music to connect with people all of that stuff we were um i think craig talked about this briefly or alluded to it but we were the first band that ever did a live interactive show on the internet so we did a show really that's right what was that it was um in the i think it was 95 maybe 1995, dude. Yeah, so Wilton Hall <laughs> at James Madison University. We played a show, and we also broadcasted on the inter- internet. And we also said, "Hey, if you have the 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 pipes to feed back to us, hmm. then we will." And and live in concert, we talked to this guy Bill in like what Ithaca, New York, I think. And, or was it Michigan? Oh, I thought it was. I thought it was. I thought it was uh, upstate New York. But this is. A, we'll have to go back to the. Uh, it was cold. It was. It was, it was up north. <laughs> <laughs> a cold and, and we we ha- we like could communicate with him live, and and we had him like up on the screen, and it was like you know two frames per second, and, and uh, but we like conversed with him, and and like you know he was part of the show, and that was. Um, Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. 1995. Yeah. yeah. Leveraging. Yeah. So we leveraged the VAX system at JMU. Um, so we had the power at JMU. We used Wilson Hall. Um, the software was CUC Me, which was out of Cornell University. And we got turned on to it because some of our friends who were fans um, were working at NASA and Langley. And so they knew about what? it. And this what? video conferencing software was 15 frames per second. And like, it was like kind of like internet chat, but video chat. And it was like, you'd go on the site and there would be like eight webcams essentially. And it was like a couple kids in a dorm room, like a guy in his office. And apparently we sold out some, when we did those shows, there were like internet cafes, right? There were these things. And so we apparently sold out an internet cafe in London. And I think, Steve, did we do one in Tokyo? Yeah. Like, there so, like there were strange yeah, things where it just didn't make yeah. any sense. That is like, amazing hey, history. Oh my yeah, gosh. Right? So I think yeah. one of the things that wow. Steve's really bringing up was just like the, the kind of history of technology. And I'll, I'll kind of carry on what he was talking about to, to tee him up with you know, where he kind of came up with the original idea for light the music. So we were using emerging technology, like early email lists, you know, this video conferencing software, we were using like some of the first like digital downloads. Mm. And then we started to get into digital production on pro tools, right in the late nineties. Cause like, and yeah. so we started to produce our own music and then Steve and I both got into um, producing records and producing music for commercials and I ended up moving out to Los Angeles and working and doing sound design and doing a bunch of multimedia work. So it was like music, you know, and, and the more, you know, technical music became, you were programming the sound. So you just kind of got used to working in the computer. And Steve was always really brave about like just diving into things like Pro Tools and just like 
kind of going for it. Um, so he was just a natural at just like taking the tops off the paint and just playing with it. And so what happened was, is like, we just got technical with what we were doing because the art became technical. And I'm also a huge fan of electronic music. So I kind of tracked like technologies through the way that music sounds, right? So you can kind of hear how technology is changing by the way things sound when you're listening to it and the styles of music that are coming out faster and faster. And so it really kind of propelled us into this place of like, like feeling comfortable using technology to do what it is that we did and are continuing to do. And also like wearing so many hats at once. So kind of teeing that up, like we just kind of got deeper and deeper into the technology. Like Steve kind of hatched this idea a while ago, actually on the road and, you know, came up with it. So Steve, I'll let you take this part over and I'll dive in for context. What happened was I, you know, just normal, you know, like Friday night gig, I got the short straw. And so I was driving back from Atlanta and we were going back to our farmhouse in Virginia, somewhere in South Carolina. This is before the sun had come up. So probably like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. in South Carolina, I found this like very bottom of the radio dial NPR station that was playing like industrial ambient stuff at first it was just like is that static like what is that that's that's the weirdest <laughs> static i've ever heard and, and as i started listening it was just like you know like i was like oh this is like intentional and i turned it up and i was just like <laughs> this is my jam right now and as i'm driving like a, a billboard goes by and it's like and I was like, yes, that billboard. And the white lines are just going. And I was like, wow. And I just had this moment of what if there was like an art installation or something that like combined sounds and visuals in a really intuitive way that like kind of glued them together. And that was, that was that, like, that was that moment. And, 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 you know, like, there it went. But I never forgot that. And, and what happened for me once, once like in a, in a, in a nutshell, what happened? We, we played for about 10 years, had this amazing run. Um, and then the, as Napster and the MP3 had come out, the record label started crumbling. And so we were about to go from our first hit single to our second one or so we thought. And they were just like, no, you're not. And that was, oh, no. that was the end of it. Like, it, just, it ended right there. So for the next 10 years, um, as Craig went out to L.A. and did all that stuff, Craig helped me set up a studio and we did some projects together. And at the like about eight years ago, what I saw happening was the the technology to make music had become super cheap, like super democratized um, garage yeah. band, which is this mm -hmm. amazingly powerful tool, was free. And so lots and lots of people were making really good sounding music. And so my job, which had been to make custom music for picture, you know, whether that's a TV show or a commercial or whatever, um, I saw the end of my job on the horizon, basically. And then I was like, so I, I, I've got kids, I've got, you know, this is eight years ago. So they're, they're little kids. And I was like, what if they were like playing on an iPad and, and like, or my phone 
And what they were doing on the screen of the phone was like being reflected up on the, the big video screens up behind the stage. And what if that was like somehow connected to the music? Well, now that would be really cool. And it was at that moment that that experience that I had in the mid nineties was like, Oh, you know what? You could like totally do that on a touchscreen. And so that was the beginning of light the music. And for four years, Craig and I worked together. We built the app. We raised a little bit of money and our model was going to be anybody can make music with a touchscreen. So we're going to put this up on the app store. It's going to be free. And then we'll have content sets in there that you can, you can purchase. And the first content set, of course, is our hit song, Hooch. And so just like a Lego set. You got the Hooch? Who got the Hooch? <laughs> My mama said. <laughs> so just like a Lego set, you can take the pieces of that song and combine them with visuals. And those are your instruments. And that's what you get to play with. So you can like rebuild the song and do like a remix, awesome. right? Or Whoa. just like the the Batmobile Lego set, you can also make this really cool looking spaceship or a treehouse or whatever. I um, had a friend who said, you need to talk to, uh, it's called the Faison Center here in Richmond. And they are a, a school for kids with autism. And I went in and they were like, we don't really have a music program. Do you think this could be something that you could use to teach kids music? And, and as an entrepreneur, I said, yes, of course. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and my first, uh, my first class with those kids, like the hardest part of that class was pulling the iPads out of their hands at the end of the class. Mm -hmm. And from there, it was just like, okay, this works. Now build curriculum, um, listen to teachers and, and like, what do they need to be able to use this as a, as an effective tool. And so that's been, you know, everything else that we've done since then has been growing that idea that any teacher can teach any student and have a musical experience. Talk a little bit about the um, intersection between, you know, making music, um, everybody can make music, it's engaging, um, a lot of different senses, uh, and, and you're also thinking of ways how you could adjust it depending upon, you know, the, the need of, of the group that you're working with. Um, at the same time, you also seem to be providing content for educators um, and also for, you know, music therapists who work in educational settings. Um, you know, you, you also want to provide content like possible curricular or possible yeah. ways of, um, of combining those worlds. Um, yeah. You know, what, what, what got you into making those uh, connections? Yeah. So the app experience of creation um, of, you know, and this goes back to our days as guys in a band and, and creating and sharing music, making music and sharing it with somebody and that moment that happens, you know, like that's the thing, right? So what if you're in front of a, um, a bunch of kids that are, are, are like highly impacted, you know, like then what? Um, well, we can all touch the screen and make music together, you know, and that became this thing that we call Oro One Touch. And that became this concept of like, you know what, 
you can create music starting with just one finger. Yeah. And I mean, that's really important for um, like Allison and I both work with um, adults with disabilities. Well, I work with kids and adults with disabilities, but Mm -hmm. Allison primarily works with adults, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of them have, um, not a lot of them, but um, it it comes with some motor difficulties. Mm -hmm. So um, I know for me, I um, have a rock band with um, youth and adults with disabilities. And so for some of them, it's really hard to get the strumming right or to get the um, just the timing right. Uh, So I can see how using an app would be super beneficial um, in helping create. Totally. Yeah, totally. And stuff like that. Yeah. Like removing those barriers. And, and, that, and that's, that, that is, um, that is an important takeaway in that, you know, using digital technology um, in a therapeutic setting and even an educational setting, you have to balance that accessibility, you know, like there's some, mm-hmm. you know, for, I know a lot of people who use um, like Ableton Live um, and, and, and the push to, and that's fantastic though. If I'm working with someone very quickly within a couple of sessions, um, you know, that there's a large learning curve to the Ableton platform. Oh yeah. Oh my um, gosh. And so you're kind of at, it's, it's really, it's challenging. Right. So, and I want to give as much power to the person I'm working with as possible. I don't want to be in the, mm-hmm. in, in too much of the, you know, music engineer role and trying to, and, uh, you know, the, I want to balance that power and control. So, you know, to have something that is musically enriching, that is um, rewarding in that way, that it's, it is musical, it is engaging, it, it can be visual, it can be tactile um and at the same time it gives as much power back to the person you're working with um that's that's a that's a hard that's actually harder in digital technology than i think people give it credit for i also i also think for music therapists um for those that um are just now getting into using technology with clients um this is a good i guess second step after using you know, the really easy apps like Bloom. Um, so mm-hmm. like yeah. thinking like yeah. if you yeah. want to take yeah. a step further yeah. and slowly get better at using technology um, for yourself, but also to use with whoever you're working with. Um, I really think that this is a good second step for those music therapists that are like, where do I go next? Because yeah. I can't handle Ableton yet. Um, yeah. So it's, it's definitely exactly. a good um, next level to use for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. And thank you for that call out. Um our job is going to be to to make it easier to understand, you know, and to to use orovisual music as a as an effective tool. Mm-hmm. And now what we're trying to do is give other people that, you know, that opportunity to say, hey, like, you know, this is a really amazing, magical thing. Check it out. So how do uh, music therapists get this amazing, magical thing? The app is free on the app store so oro oro visual music is the name of the app um and there's actually another one called oro well Mm. which is um check out oro well because it um we were talking about breath a little bit earlier and 
um, it starts with breath. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I think that um, people who are listening to this podcast, like, you know, we want to hear from people, right? So we're a young company. And although we've been at it for six years as like the music, we've been in the educational path and the the hopefully down the, the therapy path for about three years now. Um, and so we want to hear from people. So go to the website, reach out to us. You know, give us your suggestions. And, you know, one of the things that Steve's also talking about is that, you know, when we pivoted from the music industry space into the education space, we had been invited to some schools and we're spending time just kind of showing the app to some kids. And we ended up like in classrooms. And what we found out is that uh, this tool that we made is a visual music instrument, right? So it quantizes your moves so that you can have one finger and you can make music and it feels good and you get that feedback and the visuals are kind of abstract. So they like hit your synapses in a strange way. And we were getting feedback from parents who had kids on the spectrum who were like, Hey, you know, my kid really loves this. And so there was this resonance in there. And, you know, part of what Steve started to do is like, I started to notice just as, you know, as him being my friend, I was like, man, you know what, Steve, like, dude, you're a really good educator. You're really good with this tool in your hand, making it work in a bunch of different situations. You know, some of the feedback was like, okay, so we have these kids on this app. We don't necessarily need them to just be staring at a screen again. So what else can you do with it? And so we started to create these exercises around it and this curriculum to go with it. And so it's, it's a, uh, I don't want to say it's an organic environment, but it's a creative environment where we put the app, this instrument in people's hands and Steve works with people and this really cool set of tools and programs have come out of it. And we just really have hit a sweet spot in um, special education schools because there's a real need for this. And so, you know, once again, coming back to this podcast, like any of the listeners out there, like go to the website, download the app, email us, you know, I'm sure Steve can work with you to like try to get you some exercises and start giving us feedback because, you know, we need it in people's hands and we need it in people in experts' hands so that we can find out more and just build the community. Like back to what we talked mm, about yeah. on the last podcast, it's like building community through magical experiences. Mm. So um, I, I just, awesome. I'm really looking forward to, to the feedback. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on here and, and talking to us about your project and all the music you've created and, and the awesome stories and connections that you've made. Um, it's been really awesome getting to talk to you. Yeah, this has been really fun. Thank you. Love yeah, it. it was great to have you on. Um, I um, was really excited when I heard that you guys wanted to share some of your music because um, I love Waterboy. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I a lot not to consistently quote it, but I did not too. <laughs> There's a hooch content set for Whoa. the app floating around somewhere that we have. Perfect. <laughs> have to go find that. And and music therapists can check out lightthemusic.com. And I know that everything is starting to put some of their music, uh, starting to re-upload some of their uh, albums on. Uh, streaming services. I know uh, mm-hmm. their first album, Solid, um, just got uh, put out on iTunes Music, and so you can start catching up on the history of everything. And um, yeah, as they said, keep in touch with them and, and music therapists out there. Uh, check out the apps. Check out Light the Music, and let them know how 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 is music ther- how how can we as music therapists adapt this? Um, how is it working for you? And you know, it's a it's a community of 
digital musicers who are um, who are creating something new to help people. So this is fantastic, you guys. Thank yeah, you. we'll put it all in the show notes, um, links and emails and everything so that um, yep. everyone can contact you. Yeah. Perfect. Fantastic. Thank you guys so much for your time yeah. and having us on. Of course. Thank you for coming yeah. on. Well, folks, um, we are going to sign off by listening to Time Will Heal Me. But before that, if you guys want to support us, you can check us out on Patreon.com slash clinical populations. You can also buy some bop swag um, from clinicalpopulations.threadless.com. And um, yeah, I think that's it. So, and remember, yeah. folks, the Bob, you know, helping the Bob fam means that you're helping Gabby, Allison, and Jonathan, and Grant, and, and Grant get to the World Congress of Music Therapy in South Africa 2020. Uh, this summer, 2020. Right. So, um, help us out, uh, help them out to, to get there. Thanks for the plug. Awesome. Nice. See you in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. All right, everyone. Well, here's Time Will Heal Me. Time Will Heal Me. Sorry. Bye, everything. Enjoy. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Cheers. Awesome. (laughs)
Time will make me 